Gets it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around the front. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. To get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain, T.C. Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Fartzell. Right up front, Yager, finish side of the net. Score! The doctor is now in. And a very good Monday to you. Hope your weekend was well. Get ready to crank one up again this week. Non-stop sports talk to the 4 o'clock hour, as you know. T.C. Martin, VGK, Ballpark Frank in the house. Numbchuck on the other side of the glass, making it happen for you. And yes, tonight, Vegas Golden Knights back at the Fortress for, I want to call it the most important regular season game of the year. Is there such a thing? Well, I guess there probably is. Yeah. I'm not sure. To me, it lacks a little bit of the importance because they're going to win the division. They pretty much wrapped that up. I know they're still playing for the President's Trophy, but that only comes into play if if they did somehow lose it and Carolina won. Carolina would still have to make it to the final and playing against Tampa Bay and Florida. That's certainly far from a given thing. So, I mean, I guess you can build it up that way. You can try to make it sound that way to make it more exciting. I think it lost a little bit of its luster, the fact that, you know, Vegas has won everything kind of handily, and uh, that one game that uh, Colorado lost when Grubauer lost the stick to San Jose would have made it more interesting tonight if tonight would have been like, you know, there could have been a tie or something like that to me. But, you know, yeah, it's still a big game. Okay. So, uh, I'll, I'll take the other side, Mr. Debbie Downer over there. I'm not Debbie Downer. You ask my opinion. I'm giving my opinion. All right. Here's, you know, the, the networks would, would really not like that take. So, I'm going to ask you a question here. So, if you were doing the pregame show... With the Golden Knights, like you did for you know the past whatever three years, would you have that same take? Would you have that same presentation right there? I, I would still have my same opinion on the air, yeah. though. I, I mean, but wouldn't the, you build it in up the promos like, and stuff like that? Obviously, you'd build up. Yeah. This is a big game for both teams. Right. Colorado's there still trying go. to hold off Minnesota. You know, they're they're not yeah. even guaranteed home ice for the first round. It's a statement game for Vegas. They want to win a game. Who's going to play goal tonight? Do they continue the rotation? Does Robin Leonard finally face the Avalanche? Does Mark Andre Fleury do it again? Is they get ready for playoff positioning? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you you can build it up. I mean, yeah. let, let's face it. I mean. They build up fights and make every fight sound like it's Ali Frazier or something like that. And cards when you're like, really, this is your main event type yeah. of deal. So yes, I. But I'm not. I I didn't know that I was on the promotional team when you asked me to, what I thought of tonight's game. <laughs> it's just funny because it's true. You you do have a a different stance when you are. Or going that realm, and again, we're having a casual conversation, or we're on the air where neither one of us are in that official capacity. Yeah. You, UNLV so, yeah. makes it sound like some of their football games are important. Yeah. When was the last one? But you proved my point exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, just having some fun with it. Yeah. It's true. But, yeah, so I, I will say that all of the things that you said on the, the second go-round there are apropos because, yeah, this is they, they have not clinched the, the division yet. But with that victory tonight, they clinched the division. The President's Trophy, best record in the NHL, big deal. Talk about Carolina. So they're tied with them. Both have 80 points at this point in time. Well, actually with a win or even a – if it goes over to Right, right, right. So – and I believe what Car- – Carolina's got a couple more – Carolina's got one more game. One more game. And Carolina's yeah. got 80 points and so mm-hmm. does Vegas. Right. So, yeah, I think tonight is a big game. And then you have the fact that the talk – all season long has been the Golden Knights and the Avalanche. Those are the two teams. And we've talked about it before, and other people have said it as well, too. Hey, I don't think they're going to beat the Avalanche, you know, in, in the playoffs. And these games have been highly contested. They've met seven times so far this season. The Golden Knights have won four out of the seven. And uh, so if it was a, a, a series, Golden Knights would already win and, and advanced on. Uh, last time they met April 28th, where the Golden Knights won at T-Mobile Arena 5-2. to two. And actually, the Golden Knights have won the last two meetings here. So, And we know Colorado had some injuries. They had the, the COVID issues and that sort of thing. But let's run down these scores of the first seven games. Okay, Golden Knights 
won one nothing early on in the season. Next time they met, Colorado won three to two. Colorado won uh, game three, exact same score, three to two. Golden Knights delivered a shutout, three nil. Colorado uh, paid him back five one, and I believe that was the Lake Tahoe game where Colorado won five one. Right, crazy game that yep, was. Yeah, Golden Knights three two overtime winner, and then uh, the Golden Knights win five two. Uh, last time they met at T-Mobile. So, yeah, uh, Golden Knights have won three uh, in a row and four out of the last five, uh, and they're going for the division title and with hopes of getting the best record in the NHL, that President's Trophy. So, yeah, I think I think tonight's a big deal. You could probably make the argument, that, hey, Colorado needs the game more. I think the Golden Knights want to win this game as, as well, too. But, yeah, I think Colorado... Definitely is going to play hard tonight. Both teams will play hard, but I think it is a big game. And if you buy into this, hey, this is the biggest regular season game. If you know, and I hate it when people say that. Well, regular season really doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it does. It, it means a lot. So if you want to hype up a end of the season regular season game against two teams you know are probably two of the best teams in the league, and they're going to probably face off at some point in time, you know, during the postseason. They both want to win, and and it, it does say something if the Knights win five out of eight of of the season series, or Colorado, you know, uh, gets the victory tonight and they split four four. Yeah, I, I see that from the mental aspect of it. But again, it is regular season. It doesn't mean it's going to equate to the playoffs. Uh, I think it'd kind of be a shame if these two teams do not meet in the finals for this division. I don't want to call it the Pacific no. Division because I don't know what the hell it is. It's the, it's the 2021 West. <laughs> West Division. But, um, you know, and I think what makes it maybe even a little bit bigger for Vegas is the fact that, you know, they do want to play St. Louis in the first round. They just beat St. Louis twice again. They've owned them this year. Now, the flip side of that is Colorado has owned Minnesota this year. We know that Vegas struggles with Minnesota, or at least it appears that way. Now, again, those are regular season games. We don't know how it equates in the playoff. It's a whole different time. We don't know if there's going to be a goalie rotation in the playoffs. We don't know if Marc-Andre Fleury's won the job. Personally, I think he should have won the job for the playoffs. But Pete DeBoer isn't going to be calling me, asking me what he should do with the goaltender rotation. I'm pretty sure of that. I mean, my phone's available if he does, but I have a feeling that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, there are little things there. And, and I think one of the keys is especially for Colorado, because we know Vegas is a little bit beat up here and there, but Vegas has a lot of depth. Colorado's had a lot of injury problems, and I still think the big difference right now is if Vegas had an injury to one of their goaltenders, and knock on wood, that doesn't happen, because I don't want to see anybody injured because I want to see the best players in the world play against each other on every team out there. They have two quality all-star caliber goaltenders. Colorado, if Grubauer gets hurt or has COVID issues again or something that he's had in this season, they are in big trouble. They don't have goaltending depth. And I'm still not sold on Grubauer in the playoffs. And maybe I put too much into the time that the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup and Grubauer got the first two starts, and he didn't look good. On home ice, lost both games. Braden Holtby came in. And he led them all the way to the Stanley Cup. We basically didn't hear from Grubauer again. So maybe that puts a chip on his shoulder. But I think the goaltending depth is a huge advantage for Vegas come playoff time. But again, that's assuming that both teams make it there. Even though Vegas has owned St. Louis in the regular season and Colorado has owned Minnesota in the regular season, the playoffs are a whole different thing. You lose that first game or something and all of a sudden things are different. It's a seven-game series, so it's not a short series. But it's still a series that you don't want to fall behind or something, and you want to get the games over as quickly as possible and stay as healthy as possible. Yeah, no doubt. And I think I remember the last game. I think it was the last two times these two teams met that you know Grubauer did not play, and we we saw even though uh, you know the Golden Knights won both of those games. Yeah, but Devin Dubnik did not look w- well, and again. it was horrible in the five two game. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it, it, it just really really yeah. bad. And and which I I still don't, I don't know exactly what happened to him. Because when he was in Minnesota, and it wasn't that long ago, I remember Bruce Boudreaux, who was their bench coach back then, saying that he would put him in there against anybody. Carey Price, Marc-Andre Fleury, Jonathan Quick, you name the goalie, he feels Dubnik's as good as any of them. And that particular season, he was. And all of a sudden, it shows what a mental position that is, and also how filming that some one coach finds something that you can't, stop something on the stick side or the glove side, or maybe you're moving a little bit different in that. You, you know, there's ebbs and flows. But Dubnik right now is in a funk. He has not played well in goal this year. He's a big guy. 
He's not the fastest goalie in the world, but he's kind of quick in that. He seems like he's not playing with the confidence. He's out of position a little bit, and his quickness seems to be lacking. But I think that all goes with confidence. But, boy, you don't want a goalie without confidence in the playoffs. Yeah, well, speaking of which, uh, you know, we've seen that with Robin Leonard, too. And when we get to shootouts, you see that. He though does not actually, feel comfortable. Though he's actually been better of late in the shootout and stopping uh, breakaways in that. Yeah. It's ironic because – his overall game, the last couple of games, I think has taken a step back, but he's become better in the breakaways and the shootouts. Right, right. In the last shootout, I mean, he was very good. Yeah, no, he, yeah, that. he was solid. Yeah. But again, as the games get more meaningful against the top-notch opponents and moving into the playoffs, you know you could tense right back up again. And there's no and shootouts in the playoffs, remember. It, you know? exactly, it, it doesn't right. matter how good or bad right. you are in a shootout. Right. Unless there's a penalty shot, that's the closest exactly. thing we're going to have to a shootout-type right. situation. Right. So... The big question, who is in goal tonight? Marc-Andre Fleury has started all seven games. That is crazy. How ironic is, is, is that? That I mean, just the matchup of the schedule. Pete DeBoer started doing this, you know, the rotation, which many people, many fans wanted him to do last year. But this year, he stuck to it. It's opening night, Robin Leonard, Marc-Andre Fleury, and he has basically stayed with that. Despite, you know, of course, when injuries came into play, when Leonard missed time and then Fleury had to, um, to start all those games. Yeah, but which, which is why Fleury's played all seven games, it, because correct. otherwise you go, well, wait, if there's a rotation, how yeah. did that happen? Yeah. Because there was one game series instead of two right. because of that. Or when there was right. the back-to-backs, And Leonard the way the calendar available. fell as yeah. well, too. Yeah. And, and tonight is one of these games where this is a makeup game. As well, too. It wasn't originally on the calendar, right? And then so it falls. And remember, we were looking at this like two weeks ago. Oh, well, next time they play, how, how is this going to fall on, on May the 10th? And then, boom, here it is. So, yeah, Marc-Andre Fleur has started all seven games against the Avalanche, four and three in those games, goal against average 2.14, and he's riding this personal eight-game win streak right now. He has been fantastic. Can maybe make the argument the, the, the best goalie in the entire league right now. Well, number three star of the week again in the there NHL. Right. So he, he was considered right. the best goalie this last week. Right. I mean, he's been sensational this year. Hasn't allowed more than two goals in any of those games during the streak. So Against a very high-powered offensive team. Yeah. Colorado was known for yeah. their offense. So I, I know that, uh, again, you know Pete DeBoer – isn't calling you or you know doesn't have your number. I know your number's on private. Always come, your number always comes up as unknown anyway. You probably just block everybody. So I'm it's probably, probably using my burner phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if he does call, who starts in goal tonight? And there could be a little conspiracy theory here. We know that the Golden Knights like to keep things close to their vest. Robin Leonard, we expect him to start, but is it Mark Andre Flory? Because he's so familiar. It is hot right now. Interesting call. A lot of people don't know what's going to happen here tonight. I don't know if anybody except Pete DeBoer knows. Yeah. You know, maybe he's told the goaltenders. He might not have even told them yet. Oh. They like to play it close to the vest yeah. there. So I don't know. It wouldn't shock me to see Flurry start. And especially if they're not going to use the rotation in the playoffs, which I still have the feeling they're not going to. I think he's going to, just like last year he had Robin Leonard as his goalie, I think it's going to be Flurry this year. I think it should be Flurry. If they go with the rotation and they continue doing that, then it should be Leonard tonight. Right. They should just keep it going, and including when the playoffs start. If they're saying Marc-Andre Fleury is their goaltender to start the playoffs, it wouldn't surprise me to say, all right, you're going tonight against Colorado. Then you can rest that last game against San Jose, get Leonard one more action, one more game action before the playoffs start, and then Flower, take it away. So, so, but I don't know exactly what his thought process is or whatever. I would think that if you're going to play Flurry in the playoffs and you're going to rest him one of these last two games, I think you'd rather give him the, the rest before the playoffs start and, and get him in the game tonight, especially since tonight is arguably, in some people's mind, right. the biggest game right. of the regular right. season. Right. And I would think that he would stick to his rotation. It's what he's done all season long. Just because that does make it a little uncomfortable uh, of a situation in that locker room. And, and, and you might, you might want to have Leonard get one, at least one look at these exactly. guys in case you need him to exactly. face him in the playoffs. Exactly. And so I think you, you really need to stick with that. And again, like I said, you're going to the playoffs, you're going to get top seed, you're more than likely going to win the division regardless, even if you lose a game tonight. you got one more game against San Jose on Wednesday. But I, I think you have to do that just for 
I don't want to say chemistry, but just kind of keeping things, keeping the circus out of the locker room, even though the media is not allowed in there, but still with the Zoom calls and everything. And a lot of times, you know, you would go to just about every one of those morning skates on game night. Which they didn't have one today. Exactly. And I don't think that was necessarily just happened to be the way it felt. So there, there's part of the conspiracy theory. Hmm. Plus, nobody knows who was off the ice first today. There, that's another thing. Because the first goalie off the yeah. ice is starting. Right. Well, if nobody's on the ice, nobody's first off the ice. Right. <laughs> so that's why this, you know, if you want to read into it, which we're definitely doing, and, and fans do the same thing as well, too, and everyone in the media does it as well, too, that, yeah, you, you have to look at these type of things. And we've seen this from the Golden Knights, too, as well. They like to keep everything hush-hush and quiet here. But can you imagine if Flurry does start tonight, and regardless of the outcome, that's a story now. And it's going to become a story for the last regular season game, heading to the playoffs, and that's the last thing that you want if you're Pete DeBoer as a coach. But then again, it, you could you could nip it in the bud and just say, this is what we're going to do. But I think people will accept it better if you just ride out the next two games with the regular rotation, and then people do expect you to name a starting you know, uh, goaltender once the playoffs begin. There'd be nothing wrong with that. But... It could get flipped. But he didn't last year. You know. Last year was kind of a game by – I mean, he never yeah. said Robin Leonard is my goalie in the yeah. playoffs. But here. we knew when it he started the to first two, way. we knew it. You know, we knew it when he first started the first two. But we did know it, but then there were still people arguing that, well, no, he's got to change now. He's got to yeah. – and again, let me emphasize this, especially for those that are novice hockey fans or, you know, maybe don't really remember exactly what happened except for that Vegas got eliminated in the playoffs. The goaltending did not eliminate them from the playoffs. Flurry and Leonard were both solid. It was the lack of goal scoring. You hope that's not the case this year if you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan. They led the league in five goal games. Their offense has been rolling. Pacioretty looks like he's about ready to come back. If he's in there tonight or not, I don't know. They've got a lot of players. They've got a lot of depth. I don't know exactly who they're going to play and who's going to be sitting. You know, Ryan Reeves, will he be in, will he not be in or whatever? Last year, it was the lack of scoring that cost this team. It was not the goaltending. So regardless of what they do in net, if they get that same type of goaltending, they should still be in a pretty decent position. Now, you can also argue, well, yeah, they led the league in five goal games. Look at the competition in this division on the bottom half. Golden Knights have won seven straight at T-Mobile Arena, tried to make it eight straight tonight. Colorado in town, big game, looking forward to it. What's your gut feeling? What happens tonight? I think Vegas will find a way to win. I think there are, there's going to be more fans there right now. I think Colorado would obviously love to win this game. But but I almost it seems to me that right now, as important as the game is, Colorado wants to make sure that they're starting to play with a little bit of rhythm and they want to be healthy going into the playoffs because they do have injury issues in that. I, I, I think it's going to be a close-knit game. I know when you read those scores there, I think four of them were one-goal games, and there was a couple blowouts here and there. I think tonight is more one of those close-to-the-vest one-goal kind of games. Though somebody gets up two or three, it could get out of hand. The one thing I'm not necessarily expecting is, even if it gets out of hand, to see a lot of chippiness and the stuff that we saw against Minnesota and even St. Louis a little bit where you saw the teams. I think these guys are going to save it to the playoffs when it really matters. So I don't expect a lot of that. But I, I think it's going to be a good game. But I think whichever team's goalie plays better is going to win this game. And if I'm going to make a bet strictly on a goaltender, I'm not going against Marc-Andre Fleury this season. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is one of those games, if you're going to make a pick, at least for me, you, you've got to wait to the starting lamps are announced and, and to see who is in goal. You know, for me, and again, if it's Marc-Andre Fleury, lean towards the Knights. If it's Robin Leonard, lean towards the Avalanche. That's what I'm thinking, you know. And again, and both teams are going to play hard. They're both going to tell you they need it. And I think they, they you know, again, no one's going to take the night off. But the Avalanche want to make a statement here. They do not want to ride into the playoffs, again, losing a season series to the Golden Knights, and especially losing uh, the last three games. They don't want that. And, and then, so I and expect then a big-time performance from Grubauer tonight and McKinnon. McKinnon's list is day-to-day, but he's going to go. He's, he's, he's fine. And uh, I, it would not surprise me if the Avalanche come out smoking tonight. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. I, I expect them to come out of the gate fast. But, again, it's a long game. We've seen some of these yep. games where a team comes out quick and then they kind of you know hit the skids. And Colorado, 
if if I'm nervous about Colorado at all, and I'm not, I'm not an Avalanche fan, but I do respect right. what they have in the team right there. I'm a little bit upset, and I'm I'm very concerned right now that you had a team like San Jose down two to nothing, and you blew that lead. I know Grubauer lost a stick at the end and a power play, and so it was kind of a freaky goal. But they shouldn't even have been in that position where you allowed them to tie it up again. I'm not sure that recently, anyhow, Colorado has had that killer instinct. Mm-hmm. Even in their last couple games against the Kings, they won the games, but they won them like three to two. They're only winning one goal games against inferior competition. If I'm Colorado. I need a better effort, and I need a 60-minute effort out there. Right. You can't take lulls in that because if you do it against this Vegas team, they can score a goal, two, three goals in a big hurry or something like that, and then you're pretty much done. I think they need to wrap up their intensity. I know they've had injury problems and this, that, and the other. Every team in the league has injury problems, and Colorado is certainly used to it. For the Avalanche, I think they're looking for a full 60-minute effort tonight and there are no moral victories. If they lose by a goal, it's still losing. I agree with you. They don't want to lose this series 5-3, to three, knowing that Vegas is going to have home ice in the second round of the playoffs should they meet up. All right, exactly. All right, 7 o'clock, face-off uh, tonight. Uh, the Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche final regular season meeting between these two squads. All right, B.J. Armstrong is going to join us, the three-time champion with the uh, Chicago Bulls. Uh, we'll talk a little NBA with him. Uh, we will talk to our good friend Matthew Holt, like we traditionally do on Mondays as well, to, from U.S. Integrity and also the sportsbook side. And Marco D'Angelo is going to join us next hour as well, too. Is he we... going to take a shot at picking a winner? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we're going to talk about this Kentucky Derby drama next hour, so hang tight for that because, yes, there is drama. The Kentucky Derby winner... Maybe taken down. What I mean, if you had a ticket week, on Mandaloon? Two weeks later. You what know? if you had a ticket on Mandaloon? Oh, oh that's, 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 a, that's a crazy thing. Oh, how about yeah. Talk about your potential bad beat. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get into the story later. But, yeah, Medina Spirits' victory in the Derby is in jeopardy. Failed post-race drug test uh, that, that came out over the weekend. Bob Baffert, his trainer, suspended the Hall of Fame trainer. Uh, more bad news for a sport that continues to be plagued by stories like this. So we're going to really dive into uh, this uh, next hour with Marco D'Angelo and Matthew Holt. Crazy stuff. But uh, before um, we go NBA, we do want to touch on uh, the fight on, on Saturday night with uh, Canelo Alvarez. Canelo, uh, as anticipated, Took care of business. Billy Joe Saunders. TKO end of the eighth round where Billy Joe Saunders did not get off his stool. Canelo started pummeling him. Uh, in the, was pummeling him really pretty much throughout. And then at the end of the eighth round, uh, just body shots, head shots. And uh, Billy Joe Saunders' eye closed, almost nearly destroyed. He uh, could not come out for round number nine. And the advice uh, of his trainers and the doctors there at ringside, uh, no moss for Billy Joe Saunders, TKO, end of round eight, Canelo Alvarez, victorious again in another dominating performance. Well, and, and from what I heard, when Canelo went over to the corner, he basically told his corner, this fight is over because I felt I basically broke his cheek. Yeah. And so then the orbital bone to the eye. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's not like he nomassed like Roberto Durandin years no, ago. No, no, I mean, no, no. he he was nomassed by the doctors, by his corner, by everybody else he out there. He was nomassed by it, Canelo. It, yeah, it was a vicious <laughs> yeah. uh, blow. Hopefully he'll be okay and he might fight again. But, I mean, when you're talking orbital bone in the eye and that kind of stuff, you're talking potential career-ending type of injury there. I mean, it was a vicious punch. And, uh, you know, Canelo Alvarez once again – Showing a lot of people, and I, I'm not the biggest fan of this because it's a media made-up thing or whatever, but if there is a pound-for-pound pound best in the world, it very likely could be Canelo Alvarez. It, it, it is Canelo Alvarez. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt. You know, The detractors, you can maybe point to Terrence Crawford, but Canelo has faced the, the top-notch competition. He's taken on everybody. And again, you know, I, I hear some people out there that, you know, think, oh, Canelo's like Floyd Mayweather Jr. and handpicks opponents. That is such nonsense. If you followed the career of Canelo Alvarez, he has cleaned up three divisions. Cleaned up. There is nobody there to fight him. Actually, four divisions. Yeah, actually, even more than that if you want to go back. You know, going back to you know, 154 pounds, 160, 168, 168, you know, super middleweight. And then he's gone on to light heavyweight and beaten a couple of opponents at 175, Sergey Kovalev. I mean, there's no one else for him to fight. 
I talk about this all the time and say that for the last two years, there is nowhere else for him to fight, nobody for him to fight. And people will say, hey, fight Triple G again. Stop with that. He beat him twice, even though one was considered a draw. And then the last time he beat him, he beat him. There's no need to fight Triple G again. And Triple G is nowhere near the fighter. Got to remember, he was already older than Canelo, much older than Canelo. And Triple G, you know, he's been relatively inactive, fighting by far way less opponents. So people that are still cringing for that, turn back the clock four or five years ago. No. We don't want to see that fight again because Canelo would would take care of business rather handily, and there are other champions that are out there, 168, 165, but not true champions because Canelo is the champion of these divisions, but he will continue to fight. He will not take time off, continue to fight. I mean, this is his fifth fight in the last like, uh, 14, 15 months. He's been very, very active during the pandemic, and again, the people that were thinking that Billy Joe Saunders was going to give Canelo you know, uh, because he's a southpaw, give him a fight here? Forget about it. And, and what about some of these judges' scorecards? 78-74 on two judges' scorecards? Okay, I guess what? That's five rounds to two. 77-75 on one judges' scorecard? What fight are you watching? You can it, it, First round, nothing happened. Nothing. And traditionally, you give it to the champion. But if you want to give it to Billy Joe Saunders, okay, fine. Maybe one other round, I'm okay with that. But I see. I saw a couple scorecards giving Billy Joe Saunders the the final three rounds, and and one of them was where Canelo destroyed the guy's eyes. No, Canelo Alvarez dominated this fight. If you want to be uh, generous, give him two rounds, maybe one round. It was all Canelo. Now wait a second. A judge gave him the round that he got the punch to the eye. I, I I don't think on the on these scorecards, but when you look at seventy seven seventy five, but I saw one of the. One of the guy, uh, the media scorecards at ringside gave uh, Saunders the final three rounds. So, yeah, what was that? Well, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's like basically giving a guy a round when he gets knocked down. Yeah. What would be a 10-8 yeah. round for sure, and you gave it to the guy that got the eight? So you got to remember, though. His okay, eyesight's the, worse than right. Saunders was the, after the round. That's my point exactly. But you got to remember, if you're scoring that fight, you have to score the eighth round because he quit on the stool in between rounds. Right, but so he still took that punch so the, the and you saw The scorecard's already turned. Right. So you, you didn't see the punch? That's my you point. You didn't see the eye yeah. swell up? Yeah. That's you didn't saying. see him go back to the corner? And his, and his trainers in that look like, oh, my God, we're looking at Cyclops here? I guess Come that, on. I guess that clown thought, well, I guess he uh, did enough to win the round prior to that. That's like, what happens when you have insane. nepotism on a judge. What, was yeah. it his cousin or his brother-in-law? Yeah. Like I said, that wasn't one of the official judges. That was No, just, I'm, yeah, I'm just saying, and, and again, I'm, I'm going a little bit overboard. Yeah. But yeah, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I love boxing. I love MMA. I love all the combat sports. But I, one thing I like about Canelo, where he is different than Floyd Mayweather, he finishes fights. So we don't have to worry, for the most part, about the judges screwing things up. Right, no doubt. Yeah, uh, Canelo Alvarez, a joy to watch uh, in the ring. And again, he put on another clinic in front of 70,000 fans on Saturday night. So that was uh, on DAZN. And uh, we'll see uh, what uh, what takes place next. You know, Canelo's still working you know, off of that DAZN deal, and he was supposed to be splitting up and... But uh, you know. as long as you don't don't go to Triller, I'm good with it. Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> that's, 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 that's not happening, my friend. All right, B.J. Armstrong, the sharpshooting guard, the point guard of those Bulls championship teams. He's going to join us. We'll talk some NBA coming up next. Happy Monday to you. This is five-time NBA champion Bill Cartwright. When I'm in town, I always listen to T.C. Martin. You should, too. NBA playoffs uh, around the corner. The play-in tournament? No, we got to get to the bottom of this. We got to see what our guy BJ Armstrong says about this. We got that to talk about and a whole lot more. And here he comes, the 12-year NBA vet, three-time champion, the former All-Star BJ Armstrong. What's happening, my man? Oh, what's going on? I was just doing Come on, man. You, you, the, we're going to have the funk going here. It, it's nonstop funk, BJ. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to bring we're going to bring you in, and we're going to do a little old school name that tune with you if, if you're up to it. Uh, you let me know when you're I, ready. Uh, 
Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. Now, see, I tried to do that with a big seven-footer, but the problem is that, you know, I mean, he's older than us, and he wanted me to go back to, you know, some Otis Redding stuff, and uh, he wanted me to go back, like, to the 50s and the 60s. He wanted me to go, uh, you know, back to the platters and yakety-yak and stuff like that. I mean, I, come on, Big Bill. What are you talking about? Uh, you know, you got me with the fucking telling. I was just telling you that. Then you came on. You know, so one nation under groove, you know, the fucking telling. I can see that. I can see that, my brother. I can see that. There it is. That's what I'm talking about. See, B.J. Armstrong can relate to George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, One Nation Under a Groove. Go a little knee deep, a little flashlight. There we go, B.J. We talk. We do this all day. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, I want to talk to you about uh, Russell Westbrook. Uh, Ties Oscar Robertson for most triple doubles in NBA history, 181. Pretty phenomenal. Um, He matched him the other night on Saturday night, 33 points, 19 rebounds, 15 assists in the Wizards' 133-132 to overtime win over the Pacers. Uh, 181. When you think about about this record being matched with a, a great guy like the Big O. What are your thoughts, man? Well, it's been amazing. And that, that, that's an amazing accomplishment. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of knowing Russell to his rookie year. And uh, I always recall, and I go back to when I first met Russell uh, in 2008 when he entered the draft of Larry Bear's I had the privilege of working with both of those guys at the same time as they were doing their free draft. So you can imagine I, I was working with Russell Westbrook and Derrick Rose every single day. I never imagined that one of them would win the MVP, let alone both of them someday would be MVP. And both of them have gone on to have literally Hall of Fame careers. So it's been amazing to watch, to watch Russell Westbrook and what he's been able to do, his competitive spirit, the way he approaches his profession and what he's been able to do and to average a triple-double, put up the numbers he's putting up, but most importantly, his impact on winning. And he's been a very impactful player on both sides of the ball. But for him to be able to do that and to – I never thought that was even attainable, something with Oscar Robertson and his numbers, being a former player, but to watch Russell do it, and have an opportunity to surpass that is just an incredible, incredible accomplishment. Congratulations to him. And I think when we look back on it, I think all of us will look back wow, we had an opportunity to witness someone play the game at this level of excellence because that is really just incredible. Anyone that's played, I think anyone who's watched the game or followed the NBA will just look at those numbers and go, you know, I don't care what league you're playing in, that's an incredible accomplishment. You know, people are going to compare Russell Westbrook to Oscar Robertson for this fact, uh, you know, of the 181 games. And we know Westbrook will eventually, you know, break this and, and he'll have the record by himself. But, you know, when you compare both of these guys, they're very, very similar to even though they played in different eras because they both really carried their teams uh, and a lot, and both these guys were under scrutiny for maybe not winning, you know, championships. Now we know Oscar got one, you know, with the Bucks in, in '71, but you know Westbrook still hasn't done it. But I think a lot of people thought that that Oscar Robertson probably should have led his teams to more championships because let's face it, both these guys were the stars on not so good teams, and I don't know if that's fair or not. Um, give me your thoughts uh, about these guys, not only for their play on, on the floor, but maybe in history being compared that way as well, too. Well, you know, we, we have to make comparisons, but I think the stats, you look at the stats, and the stats will write a narrative. And then we follow the narrative and say, well, the stats are the stats. You know, that's what the analytics will say. But you know, when you break the game down, right, this game has been a game, the NBA game in particular, has been a game that's been dominated by the bigs. Right? Oscar Robertson played in an era where he had probably two of the most dominant players to ever play the game. And we're talking about Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain. Let's just start there. So, anyone, and I think most people who play, coach the game, observe the game, will understand how difficult it is to be the very best player at the point guard position and be able to lead a team. You know, I can only think of one player in this NBA, you know, since 1946, where you've actually built a team around and he's been a point guard in his truest sense. 
And that's been Isaiah Thomas, who's won multiple titles as a smaller type guard. Now, you start talking about Magic Johnson, but Kareem was there. You know, but when you say a smaller guard where the team was built around him as the lead guard, I'm not talking about Steph Curry, who's basically a shooting guard disguised as a point guard. Isaiah Thomas is the only one. So the difficulty of what Oscar Robinson and what you're saying, Oscar Westbrook, it, it's, it's, it's really impossible just, for, just because of the way the game is being, the game, the way it was played back then, and in particular the way the game is played now, right? Because you got to have spacing, shooting, three-pointing, three-point shots, so forth and so on. So, you know, I, I, I think it, that's, that, that comparison really does stand the, the true test because when you're building a team, you've got to have a team. Right? You just don't have one great player. You have to have a team. I don't even care what position. You just have one great center without other great players. That center still needs guards and forwards and other people to participate. So I think it's very difficult. I think it's an unfair assessment of how great a player is, especially at that point guard position. All right, talking about a couple great guards with a great guard ourselves here today. B.J. Armstrong, former Chicago Bull, 12-year NBA vet, three-time champion, and all-star with the Bulls, T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you here on this Monday. You know, when I think of Oscar Robertson's, one of the things that um, I think of sometimes is the era that he played in, like you said, where it was dominated by the bigs, and, you know, there wasn't the three-point line and things that, that we have today. Uh, how do you think his game would equate today? Because he also played in an incredibly physical league, and I'm just wondering, with all the triple-doubles he had and everything, I'm trying to imagine him playing in a league where guys couldn't hand-check him, and he would go down the lane, and he wouldn't get knocked to the floor or something like that. I know a lot of times people don't like to compare eras, but it seems like, to me, that Oscar Robertson's game would have equated uh, in today's game just as well, if maybe not even better, because it would be less physical and he could even do more. I don't know if he had a three-point shot or not, but I'm sure that with his ability that he could probably develop almost anything. Well, some players transcend the years. It doesn't matter when they play. You know, when you start talking about Oscar Robertson, it didn't matter what year he was going to play. Oscar Robertson was a transcendent talent. You know, he was an exceptional talent. It didn't matter where he played. If he played in today's era, he would have been doing the same thing that he did in that era. Because he was that skilled, he was that magnificent of a player, let alone an athlete. You know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Will Clinton, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Julius Irving, Larry Bird, Magic. Some of the players just transcend doesn't really matter. Now, some players do benefit from the eras and the rules and the era in which they played in. And some players might have been, you know, they might have, preceded their era. You know, they might have been a better player when they, in today's era is when they, you know, probably when they played when the game was more physical. So, but those players, Oscar Robinson, it didn't matter. He was, he was going to be a triple-double now. He's going to be a triple-double back then, and he'll be a triple-double in the future because he was that good. I mean, he's just a very, very skilled basketball player. And when you have the fundamentals like Oscar, you know, that, that just transcends. He wasn't just uh, a player with a, a one skill set. He, he mastered the game. He clearly mastered how to play the game, how to direct the game, how to set the tempo. He was what we would term a tempo setter. He set the tempo for the rest of the league, for the rest of the players. And ultimately, he was a guard that all the guards, no matter when you play this game, will be measured against because he was that great player himself. You know, BJ, you brought up Isaiah Thomas earlier, and great comparison, by the way. And a guy, obviously, that you know pretty well because you had some great battles, you know, with him, Isaiah and the Pistons, you and the Bulls, and, and other teams as well, too. Uh, talk a little bit about the matchups, like with uh, Isaiah, and uh, did you guys spend much time guarding each other? And I'd love to hear an Isaiah uh, story or two. And uh, we hear that the guy was a, a big time trash talker. Uh, give us something there. Well, I mean, everyone was a trash talker back in that area, right? <laughs> that, that, that was that was part for the course. You know, if you didn't talk trash in that area, you probably didn't play in that era. That was that was like part of the game itself, right? Everyone was going to talk trash. Uh, the thing that I loved about the trash talking that happened in that era, it just came with a level of respect, right? And you know, pushing the envelope, trying to find a competitive edge, whether it was verbally, physically emotionally, that was part of the game. That was just part of, you know, that we all expected anyone that competed in that era. So that was really no big deal. Isaiah was an exceptional player. 
and he was a small guy, and you remember, let's remember, in that era, the game was dominated by the bigs, right? You know, you didn't have small guys traditionally that organizations built a team around and said, this is, you know, are going to be our key player, our key, our key component, and then we're going to build from the perimeter out. You know, Isaiah Thomas was one. Now, they, they, the Pistons played a physical brand of, brand of basketball with their big skill and beer, Rick Mahorn, and Charles Edwards, and John Sally, Dennis Robin, and those guys. But the, 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 the main player on their team, especially offensively, and defensively, the way he extended the defense was Isaiah Thomas. He was the engine man. He was the straw that stirred the drink. So, you know, he was a very competitive player. He was a great player. Uh, he was probably Allen Iverson before Allen Iverson because, you know, he could score in bunches like Allen Iverson, but he chose not to do that. He chose to, to run the team. He chose to play defense. He chose to do yeah, more of a well-rocked game. But certainly, I feel that if, if you were to ask him to just go out and score 30 points tonight, he had the, the, the capabilities to do that as well. So a great player. They had great teams up there, and uh, it was great to compete against them for many years. I know you mentioned the fact that uh, they played a physical game. I mean, they were called the bad boys for a reason. They wore it like a badge of honor. They didn't think that it was an insult or something like that. They did play by that intimidation factor. But when it came to the Bulls and that, it seemed like the Bulls, once they finally beat them, they felt like, okay, now we've arrived and now it's our time in that. How would Detroit play in today's game with all the whistles and everything else out there? Because there would have to be some major adjustments from the way that they played, and a lot of teams played back in that era, quite honestly. Well, you know, you're looking at the teams and having the opportunity to work in the front office uh, for many years, you learn that you build a team, and you build a team to take advantage of the rules of the game. And that Piston team was built around the way the game was uh, played back then. It was a very physical game. There was hand checking, like you mentioned, and the game was played at a much slower pace than it is today. Now, if you take that team, that Piston team, and put them in today's era, they probably wouldn't fare well. Just like probably that Bulls team wouldn't fare well in today's era. Now. But if you put the best teams of today and put them in that era, they probably wouldn't fare well either because of the rules and the way the game was played back then. So you got to look at the teams and say, you know what? The Pistons weren't a, a, a high-volume three-point shooting team. The Pistons weren't a team that probably would, pay, would probably play pace and space. But then when you look at the Pistons, they had one of the highest score games. They played in one of the highest score games ever in the history of the NBA. I think it was like 186, 184 or something versus the Denver Nuggets. So the ability and the capability was there, but that's just the way the game was played back then. It was more defensive-oriented, more possession. The offenses were ran through more of a system, more so than isolation basketball. So it was just different times. But certainly they had players who could play in that era. You could put Dennis Rodman in any era. You could put... Joe Dumas, you could Isaiah Thomas. So uh, they would have figured it out, but certainly that team wasn't built for today's era and the way they play today. All right, uh, BJ Armstrong joins us. BJ, you're a uh, you're a pop culture uh, type of guy here. Uh, we get news uh, today that. Uh, uh, rapper J. Cole is going to be playing professional basketball in Africa. Uh, g- g- so give me some uh, thoughts on this here. We've uh, seen Master P tried to do this uh, years ago. Now J. Cole's trying to do it. You know, J. Cole did play some college basketball. Actually, uh, I guess signed on to play at St. John's uh, You know, before. But then he decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to take, take my music and before he even really played a D1 game, but played – uh, you know, in high school and played him uh, below that. But I guess, yeah, he was going to play at St. John's. Uh, I've seen some video of this guy, you know, you know stroking it from deep. Uh, you know anything about J. Cole's game? Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's funny. So, uh, you know, I had preliminary conversations with J. Cole and his team about potentially trying to work with him if he was going to try to come to the NBA. And, um uh, Look, I think what he's doing over in the, 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 the I think it's the ABL, the African Basketball right. League. Right. I think it's a brilliant, I think it's a genius move by him. And the reason being is the following. He gets an opportunity to take his music to a continent and introduce himself to a whole continent of people that may not be familiar with his music. 
So I think the move of going to the ABL was just simply a genius move by him. I think it's phenomenal that he's doing it. I think he's good enough to play in that league. And I think he will have an opportunity to see the next great player or players that will eventually make it here to the NBA and will all be J. Cole fans. So I think it's a great business move for him. I think it's an opportunity for him to introduce his business on a new continent. I think it's an opportunity for him to establish those relationships and bring it back here to America. So I think it's a win-win situation for him. So J. Cole, again, is ahead of the game. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him, his music, his lyrics, his lyricism and what he brings to that space. But him going over to Africa to play, I just think is amazing. I mean, when you say out-of-the-box thinking, I think this is it. And uh, I'm rooting for him, and I can't wait. I think he has a uh, project coming out here soon. So I think it's just a great business move all the way around by him and his team. When you hear people, especially in the media, taking shots at people for doing stuff like this, saying it's a publicity grab or this or that, like you said, um, to me, I don't see the the downside in it. It helps him promote his music, like you said, in a place where maybe it's not known. And any time that you bring basketball to more masses or bring up more exposure, isn't that a good thing for the game as well? I mean, for crying out loud, Yao Ming might not have been the greatest basketball player of all time, but look what he did over in Asia and China and other places, really opening up the game that much more. I mean, you know, when you can bring it to over a billion people, that's a, that's a win for the league, isn't it? Well, absolutely. When you look at all of these arenas, right, before the shutdown here, before coronavirus, before the pandemic, Every arena, whether it's high school, college, professional, what's the first thing you hear when you come into music? It's hip-hop music. That's what you hear. You're hearing the music in all of these arenas. You're hearing music on all of the commercials. All of the things that you hear, whether it's on TNT, ESPN, you know, DirecTV, whatever you hear, you, you always hear hip-hop music, right? So... The musicians, the hip-hop artists, they're connected. Our cultures are connected. You know, AI and Jadakiss and Chuck D and, you know, all of these artists, they're all connected into basketball and basketball connected to the hip-hop culture. So to me, this is just a natural fit. I don't see a disconnect here. I don't see, you know, when you go anywhere in the world, you're going to hear a hip-hop That's a fact. That's the most popular genre today. So hip hop music is everywhere. I just think it's a great move by him. I, I think it's a win win. I don't I don't see a downside when we smoke. If anything, I think he will be a trailblazer in that regard because I can assure you, because I work with clients who are from that continent and they all know hip hop music here. They know the lyrics, they know the musicians, they know the artists, male, female, whomever. They are connected with that culture, so I think it's great for him, and I, I really don't understand the criticism there. I think that's a, and probably because they're not hip-hop fans. Yeah, and again, I really haven't heard too many people criticize him. I mean, the guy's 36, he's got a little game, and again, he's going back to play. No, it, and it's, like you said, great marketing there. And thank you very much for, for bringing a little bit of old school back when you threw Chuck D in there. When you're talking about some of those oh, artists, man. there you go. Now, if you really want to go some old school with that, you go ahead and bring some Curtis Blow and some Run DMC and some, and some oh, Sugar Hill Gang, okay? If you really want to go old school. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to go old school. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, brother. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, who, who, give me uh, your idea of maybe the best celebrity that could maybe either have played or could play in the NBA. Like I mentioned, Master P earlier. Okay, you mentioned J. Cole. Uh, and, and, and as we kick a little message here, there we go. A little message behind B.J. Armstrong. There you go. Let it flow there, B.J. Yeah, let me see. That's a good question. Uh, I'm sure there's someone I'm, I'm not off the top. But I can tell you, I was in Charlotte when Master P was there. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Master P, did, he did himself well. And when I tell you, he 
competed at the highest level every single day. And because I didn't know what to expect. I did not know, you know, Master Pete's five, Percy. You know, shout out to, uh, you know, Percy Miller, the Miller family. He's always doing big things, always had great ideas. But Master Pete was phenomenal in training camp. And I just remember how the fans took to him wherever we went and played in the preseason. I mean, it was great. I mean, we were selling out in Charlotte for all of our preseason games. <laughs> and I just remember he played very well, and he didn't have special treatment. And when I tell you he came to work every single day, he came to work. So, you know, if I just say somebody off the top based on what I've seen yeah. in a very competitive environment, Master P was definitely good enough to play in the NBA. And uh, he brought it, man. I, I, I love... And you know we've seen you know on NBA All Star Weekend we see uh, these celebrities that, that try to play and some of them can and some can't and you just uh, you just wonder and a lot of times you know th- there are guys that uh, you know that people feel oh may- maybe they could give it a little run you know in, in the NBA maybe make a roster so you no know, just yeah a little curiosity there if uh, no, that's like you said I can I can rap you know what I mean like I, I always try to respect the profession you know what right. I mean when I listen to all you know when I listen to these guys. They make it look so easy. And, uh, you know, playing in the NBA game, it, it, it's tough. Those guys are incredibly, incredibly gifted. And, um, you know, you're watching LeBron James or Kevin Durant or James Harden, Kyrie Irving, you know, it's one thing to watch on television, but when you're out there playing against these guys, you really have a respect for how good they really are. So I always like to respect the professions and say, you know, you know, when I'm sitting at home in shower, I, 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 I think I can run like uh, I think I can rap like Run DMC and them guys. But those guys are professionals. That's why I go home and those guys are doing for uh, their jobs. So uh, you know, much respect to both of those uh, those professions. Uh, I mean, come on, you're teasing us now. BJ's got to drop a rhyme right now as we head out. Come on, man, <laughs> drop, drop a rhyme. Can you can you rap as good as Shaq? Yeah. Oh man, you know what? I know. You know, let's just say this. So I've been a fan of the profession for a long time. You know, I've been a fan of the profession. You know, I I just try to stay in my lane. I stay in my lane. Uh, all right, my man. Hey, we'll uh, we'll get you back on here next week, man, and, and let's talk about this uh, this play in tournament. I, I would definitely want to get your thoughts because we'll be approaching that next week as well, too. All right. Appreciate you guys. Hey, guys, take care. Stay safe. Appreciate you, man. There he is, BJ Armstrong, three time NBA champ, of course, with the Bulls, twelve years in the league, former All Star, uh, one of the great guards, ball handlers, shooters, you name it. There you go. All right, we come back. We'll talk about Kentucky Derby drama. Mm, that and a whole lot more. Plus, hit some more Golden Knights as they get ready to take on the Colorado Avalanche tonight. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank on a Monday. 